This is the Breaking Labels Podcast, and I'm Rosanna Gill. Each episode, we'll discuss labels that have confined the stories of my guests at one point or another and their journeys to thrive beyond them. Some labels are external, and others we put on ourselves as limiting beliefs. But regardless of where the label comes from, we're here to break it because we were meant for so much more. Hello, I'm Rosanna Gill, and this is the Breaking Labels podcast, a show where I talk with people who have had the audacity to move beyond a label, whether it's a label other people have imposed on them or a label they've imposed on themselves. This show is for anyone who has ever wondered if they could do more or be more than whatever situation or circumstance they find themselves in the midst of. Let these stories inspire you to listen to that sometimes small voice inside that still has hope. Listen until that voice grows loud enough that you believe you are indeed a force to be reckoned with. To start off my podcast, it seemed appropriate or apropos that I should tell my own breaking label story so that you will know what to expect with these, the interviews you'll hear from this point forth. And a little backstory on what made me decide what I wanted this podcast to be about. And it's maybe came from what some people would think is an unlikely source, but I was reading Down the Rabbit Hole by Holly Madison, who is or was one of Hugh Hefner's girlfriends and on the show um, on E! years ago called Girls Next Door. And when I was in college or right after college and that show was on, my roommate and I absolutely adored watching it. And we just thought Holly and Bridget were awesome and bought into the whole storyline that, you know, Kendra was there to have a good time. Bridget was there because she was interested in a career. And Holly just wanted to have a family with Hef. And she wanted to have all to herself. In the midst of reading Holly's book a couple months ago, I realized that a lot of that was for TV. And while I think a lot of people probably at this point know the gig is up on reality TV and that a lot of it's not really that real, I, at that point when I was watching the show, had not figured that out and maybe still hadn't fully believed it because when I read her book, it was shocking to me. But one of the things that really stood out to me was the fact that everybody kind of assume they knew who she was as a person based on what they saw on the show. And yes, it's called reality TV, but at the same time, that's still just a small portion of their lives at that point. Just like on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, any of the social media, when you see what people post, that is such a small part of their lives. And yet it's so easy to assume that you know the rest of their lives or that you know their whole story by what is posted or what you think of somebody or what your assumption or perception is of them. And while Holly can write a book and tell her story, and quite frankly, I highly encourage anybody to read it. I thought it was a great book. Not everybody has that opportunity or that platform to tell the rest of their story. And I want this podcast to be that platform for people from all walks of life and you're going to hear from all kinds of people because I don't want there to be one singular voice because we are not one singular voice right we're 
you know, millions of voices and millions of stories. And the beauty of life is, I think, that you can learn something from someone you, from the outset or from looks, you think you would have nothing in common with. But I hope that when people listen to these podcast episodes, they allow themselves to hear from someone that the label might be off-putting. The label might make them think, well, I would have nothing in common with that because we are all so much more complex than the labels that we call ourselves by or we allow ourselves to be pigeonholed into. So my own label that I am breaking, have broken, have come from is this label that I am nothing more than a pretty girl sidekick. And it was something that took a long time for me to move beyond. And it was hard because it would feel like there were times where I thought I was making progress, I felt confident, I felt secure in myself, and then an offhanded comment or a snide remark or an experience would kind of knock me back down. So it wasn't this linear process or linear story. The first beautiful woman that I felt kind of in the shadow of, to no fault of hers, was my mother. My mother was and is one of the most beautiful women I have ever seen in real life. I remember as a little girl going places with her and people would just stop us in the middle of the grocery store on a walk and they would just tell her she is just so beautiful and go on and on and as well they should because she is but once I got to probably middle school high school puberty time um, when I was going through that very very awkward phase I was very sensitive to the fact that people would say all of that and then look at me and kind of give a throwaway compliment or my favorite was when they would say, oh my God, you are so beautiful to my mom. And then look at me and say, and you look, you look just like your dad. Because what 12 or 13 year old girl doesn't want to be told that she looks like her 50 year old father after hearing how beautiful her mother is. Now, again, that is not a criticism of my mother (laughs) or my dad. Okay. Let's not, I'm not trying to knock my dad either, but There were times where my mom would tell me, you know, you put down on yourself so much. Your, Your friends, you say they're so pretty, but they're not that much prettier than you. They're just more confident. You have to be more confident. And I would just sit there bewildered, like, well, where do you get confidence? Like, where does it come from? And it was frustrating because there were, I remember so many times when I would get ready for dances, you know, because that's, that's the big thing when you're in middle and high school, right? When you're going through that, that puberty phase and you're, you know, kind of figuring out who you are, who you might be, who you might want to be, what you might look like or all of that. There's just so much going on. But I remember getting ready for these dances and feeling confident and feeling like I look good. I feel pretty. And then going to the dances and not getting asked to dance by a single boy. I would watch all of my friends one by one get asked to dance. And I usually was just sitting there and granted, the dances I went to, nobody was fast dancing. You only ever danced for the slow dances. And it was that thing where like you have your arms or your hands on his shoulders. He has his hands on your waist and you just do a sway. And in hindsight, it's not like I was missing out on much, but it felt like everything. Because when you're that age, it does. It feels like the most important thing in the world. 
And at that point, sorry to say, I didn't have any other litmus test. I, I, how, how can I think I'm pretty if no boys think I'm pretty? And I wish I could go back and shake myself and say that doesn't matter. But I don't think I would have believed myself, even if I said it now. Because I didn't have the life experiences that I've had now. So that was kind of the beginning of it. And, you know, there were so many other things that probably didn't help with the confidence. Like the fact that I was heavier. I was always on a diet. So there was always this mentality that I will be pretty when. There wasn't much allowance to feel pretty at a larger size. And I just thought, well, if I lose the weight, then that'll solve it. Then I'll be pretty maybe. And maybe, you know, when I get rid of my glass, it was always if or when. If when, then I'll be pretty. And in college, I I became friends with a a woman who was incredibly beautiful. Incredibly beautiful. Um, Also pretty opposite of me. Um, Blonde hair, blue eyed, six feet tall. Um, Had the body of Jessica Rabbit. So when we went out... (laughs) (laughs) again people would stop us well that's not correct they would stop her and go on and go on about how beautiful she was and again I never said it it wasn't like I felt any animosity towards her because she was and I would always tell her she's so beautiful and there was more to her than just her beauty or her I should say her physical beauty but without realizing it there was a part of me that was also internalizing, well, I don't look like her, so I can't possibly be beautiful. I can be funny. Uh, I can be clever. I could be the hard worker. There were all these other labels that I figured out, okay, well, I could take those, but pretty is not going to be mine, not when I'm standing next to her. And the one, I guess, good thing with that French, not the one good thing, there were a lot of good things about the friendship, but I mean from a perspective of looking at myself as less than, It was easy for me to just write off, okay, if a guy likes her, he's not going to like me because we look so different. Because, you know, crazy thought that a guy would like different types of women. I just thought if you like blonde hair, blue eyed girls, that's your thing. If you like curly haired girls with brown eyes who are short, then you're going to like me. And that was kind of it. And (laughs) it's kind of, again, in hindsight, it's, It feels crazy to say, but I believed that. And I at least didn't have this concern that, you know, a guy would choose her over me or instead of her would choose me. Because to me, it was like, no, we look so different. That's not an option. So that was one saving grace in that journey. But then a few years later, I had a friend who did have similar features to me. We both were shorter, long curly hair well she actually had long hair mine wasn't long at the time but curly hair olive skin dark eyes uh but there was one significant difference and that was our sizes and now when I say significant I mean I was probably a good 20 25 pounds heavier than her and again I kind of wrote it off like well if you like her then you you wouldn't be into me like guys that like me like thick girls and that's just how it is and you have to be a guy who's into thick girls to like me But I would still find myself in these situations where it stung. And even if I felt confident, it hurt. And I I will, I'll give one example because it just, it always stands out in my mind because we went to this football game, this Jacksonville Jaguars football game. And 
I felt so cute. I had this new jacket I'd just gotten from Target because, hello, budget. I had this adorable jacket on and this outfit that I was, I felt good. All right. I don't need to give you the details, but I felt good. All right. Suffice to say, I felt really confident and I thought I looked pretty and I had a great time. We were in a box. We were with people. We were having a good, great time eating and drinking. It was just a bunch of fun. And we're leaving the stadium and she and I are walking. I'm on the right side. She's on the left side. And we hear there's a, there's a group of guys like that have probably been tailgating since seven in the morning and it's evening by this point. So you can imagine their state. Um, but we hear some sort of noise or somebody says something. And I turn to look because I'm on the outside and it, he's on my side. I look over at him and we meet eyes and he looks at me, kind of cocks his head and says, not you definitely not you. And you want to talk about the wind being taken out of your sails. I don't even, I'm kind of pot. I don't even know how to explain how it felt other than to say it just, it hurt. And, you know, she comforted me. She said, you know, he's just drunk. He's a frat jerk. Like who cares? But when somebody says something that like that to you and you are trying so hard to work on yourself, to be confident in yourself, to believe that you are pretty, it knocks you down a notch. And I wish I could say it didn't, but it did. And it felt like there were so many different situations like that where I would feel good, I would feel confident, and I was, there was this voice inside. There's always been this voice inside that said, you're pretty, you're worthy. Like you don't, you don't have to be somebody's sidekick. But then there'd be these experiences that would make me think, well, okay, maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe I'm too big for my britches. Maybe, you know, all these dreams or all these things I think about are just not for somebody that looks like me or just not for me. And I will say I'm very grateful for these friends because, yes, I felt compared to them. And, and there were definitely times where my lack of confidence also showed through in how I showed up in friendships. Like I didn't set boundaries. I would go above and beyond all the time. And if you need me, I'll drop everything. And that's how I should be. And not just friendships, but relationships, wannabe relationships. And it was just very, very martyr-like. Like I have to give, 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 give to prove myself, to prove that I'm worthy. Because I didn't, I wasn't there yet. I didn't believe it yet. And I wanted to, but I just... I just didn't know where to find that affirmation. What did become increasingly more clear was that I couldn't just rely on feedback from guys. I couldn't just go off of whether or not a guy told me I was pretty or whether or not a guy was willing to to date me. Because there were guys that were willing to date me, but some of them I didn't want to date. And then the ones I did, it seemed like weren't that interested. And it was like, all right, if I'm only going to go off of whether or not someone deems me worthy or not of or worthy or not to date I'm I'm never gonna get out of this cycle and one of the best things that I did for myself was actually training for my first 10k I was coming up on my 25th birthday and it started as a weight loss thing like I wanted to be my smallest size I'd ever been on my 25th birthday I wanted to lose those last 10 pounds and I I was going to be in the best shape ever for my quarter of century birthday, you know, 
So I um, am trying to lose weight. And then I was going, I was running a lot because that's what I thought, you know, just tons of cardio. That's how you lose weight. Um, I'm actually saying that a little sarcastically now. Um, if you are listening to you to this and you think that is the only way to lose weight, it is not. There are a lot of other ways to lose weight than doing hours upon hours upon hours of cardio. But at this point, I actually did enjoy running. Uh, it actually, it started in college because growing up in the midst of always being on a diet, my parents would always make me run because they wanted me to be in better shape. You know, I played soccer. They wanted me to be in good shape. And also there was always the need for me to lose weight. So I hated running. It was something I absolutely dreaded. Uh, my dad would say, oh, okay, let's go for a run. And it was, it, it didn't ever feel like it was like something to be healthy. It just felt like a punishment because I was overweight. And that's what you do if you're overweight. You have to lose the weight. So I really, really despised running when I was in high school. But a funny thing happened when I got to college. I no longer had anybody telling me I needed to run. So all of a sudden, I had an interest in it. And I would get up at 5 in the morning and go for a run every single morning. And I actually lost weight my freshman year. And I that kind of helped me get a little confidence, you know. Again, I wish I could say it was more than just because I'd lost weight and now I felt like I could feel confident. But some of it was also just pride because I I did something that a lot of people weren't willing to do. You know, I was up before most of the people on my hall um, being up at 530 to do those runs and it felt good. I mean, I, working out's good for you. It gives you endorphins. So fast forward a few years, uh, I stopped running as much. I put on probably a good 30 or 40 pounds, which when you're five, two and a half, it, it's a big difference. Uh, and I, I just, I didn't have the healthiest of habits. I mean, I don't know why I was surprised I gained weight when I was eating my roommate and I would go to Sonic and steak and shake on the regular. Like it's crazy to me that I didn't gain more weight than I did. That did not help with the confidence department. So then coming up on my 25th birthday, I'd lost some of the weight, but I, like I said, I wanted to lose that remaining 10 and I had never done more than three miles because that's what you did when I ran in high school. I ran across country, which <laughs> I was also the slowest person on the team. Like every single practice, I was the last one to finish. Um, actually, at a lot of the meets, I was also usually one of the last ones to finish. So again, just adding to the running sucks mentality I had. But coming up to this birthday, I thought, okay, well, I'm doing three miles pretty regularly and it's really not that difficult. So maybe I'll try... I'll do six. Like I, if I can do three, then I'm sure I could do six. So I found a little plan online on how to train for a 10K. And I actually beat the goal. I, I ran my 6.2 miles, I think probably three weeks before my birthday. So I thought, okay, well, I already hit that goal. Maybe I should keep running. So then I looked up uh, races in Jacksonville, because that's where I lived at the time. And there was a Gate River run, a 15K, which was 9.3 miles. And I thought, okay. So that April, I, the next April, I should say, I ran the Gate River Run. And yes, I was in really good shape at that point when you kind of have to be in pretty good, at least vascular shape to run 9.3 miles. But the confidence that I had when I finished that race, it was a combination of I had set a goal, I'd achieved it. I didn't, I didn't do the race with any intention of placing. It was just I wanted to finish it. It really was a big part of me 
starting to have a little more confidence in myself. And again, not because of the size, because here's the funny thing. I did get to my smallest size ever, the 125. That was my goal weight when I, when I became, when I turned 25, uh-huh. 125 on my 25th birthday. But I literally held that weight for about a day and a half, maybe two days. I, I've never seen that number since, but that's an aside. It was the whole process of doing something good for my body. And also, you know, taking more care with how I ate and what I ate. And at first it was very focused on calorie counting, but it was still, I was doing something for my body and I was doing something for me. It felt good that people knew, like no matter what happens, Rosanna's gonna get her workout in. And and it was just assumed and I liked that. It made me feel strong and it, it really did help with, again, my confidence. Now in the midst of this, was a series of relationships that I, I have to laugh because there were some not so great ones. Um, you know, when you look at things in hindsight, things are so much more glaring. And if I could describe the types of relationships or where I was mentally in some of those relationships, it it is really clear to see I didn't have a lot of value. Because the things that I put up with, the things that I accepted, oh, the behaviors that I accepted were, it was a reflection of how I saw myself. And there was a part of me that as much as it pained me, I did know that. And I think a lot of times we know that there's this voice inside that's fighting for us. And sometimes it's, it's this tiny whisper, but it's always there. It's just sometimes we're so caught up in everything else that we ignore the voice or we cover it up or we drown it out with all these other things. But I started getting really into looking up quotes that were inspiring, looking up interviews that were inspiring. I have always been a big fan of Oprah and I would just find any information I could about her because I just, yes, one day I wanted to have my own talk show, but more so I just just had so much respect for her story and how she really came from nothing. Like she beat so many statistics to be who she is and to be this enigma that's bigger than, I don't want to say bigger than her, but I I remember reading this article or I don't actually, I don't remember if it was an article or an interview, but it was a story about her and a relationship she'd been in where she was the other woman. He was married and he broke up with her and she chased him begging him not to leave her and he shut he closed a door on her hand and she she described just being in so much physical pain but I mean that isn't just a blow to your your physical pain that's a blow to your ego and I'd been at that point in enough relationships where my ego was pretty low I knew what I didn't want but I didn't know why I kept attracting some just relationships that I didn't want long term I'll put it that way because I don't want to criticize the men or anything like that another experience or another aha moment for me while I'm going through this process of how do I become more confident okay now I'm working out that helps but I'm still not in the best relationships I'm not finding the best relationships Something feels like it's missing. And I started going to church again. I, I, my parents 
always had me in church growing up. I, I went, I was raised United Methodist, always went to youth group, but I did not go during college at all. I actually, that's not true. I went once to a United Methodist church that was close to my college. Um, I did, you know, the whole thing. I wore my dress and my pearls because that's how I, how you dress for church. And I go and I was the youngest person by like 50 years. And I was like, all right, this is not for me. And bless them, but I had no interest in being a part of the Christian group at college. I'm not going to lie. I thought they were cheesy and I just didn't, I didn't want to be labeled as a Christian kid. Didn't want it. And that stinks because there were some really great people in that organization that I did not bother getting to know because I was more concerned with, ironically, what I would be labeled as. Once I start, I found a church in Jacksonville. Um, I went to Beaches United Methodist. They had a service there uh, that was really popular. It was a contemporary service. And it became so popular that at some point they actually started their own church, a non-denominational church called Church of 1122. I'm shouting them out because if you are in the Northeast Florida area, I highly encourage you to go because Pastor Joby Martin is a phenomenal pastor. And in one sermon, he was talking about his daughter and how every night he would pray over her and he would tell her that she is fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, sometimes you hear things and you get emotional and you don't even know why. And by you, I should just say me. And when he said those words, it struck a chord with me. And I thought, God, that is beautiful. I, if I ever have a child, I want to tell them that every single day that they're fearfully and wonderfully made. And I remember writing it down, fearfully and wonderfully made, fearfully and wonderfully made. It's actually from a Bible verse, Psalms 139.14. The full verse is, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. I cannot tell you how tightly I clung to those words for years. And I still have times where I just have to write it out just to remind myself when I'm having a moment where I'm just like, oh, can I do this? Oh, am I good enough? I have to write it or I have to say it to myself. Just I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And I thought that it was just such a powerful statement. And it was something that I wanted so desperately to believe in myself because I thought if I believe this in myself if I really believe I'm fearfully and wonderfully made then I have things have to change like I have to date differently I have to be more successful at work there's so many things that I knew would change if I believed that I was fearfully and wonderfully made hi guys quick break from the podcast to talk about what else than Spanx? Now, I know what you're thinking. Wait, aren't those the things that women wear under dresses and they double them up so that they can fit into the dress and then they can't pee and all that good stuff? Okay, so they did invent that. Sarah Blakely did invent those. But have you tried their faux leather leggings? Because I finally did. After going back and forth on whether or not to get them for a year, I finally decided to buy them as a birthday present to myself. And I got to tell you, it was worth every penny. I also, after ordering them, got a little impatient because I got a notice that they were on back order and they were going to take a little bit longer to get to me. And I had planned on wearing them for an event or a actually a weekend getaway. And since they weren't going to come in on time, I decided, well, you know what? 
I'll just go on Amazon and buy some 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 fake leather leggings on there. I'm sure they're not that much different. And they came in, and here's the thing. They're not ugly. They're cute, but I would not wear them that often. And there was also a slight odor to them, which I didn't anticipate. So I did not end up wearing those for the weekend getaway either. I went faux leggingless for the entire weekend. And then the next week, my Spanx faux leather leggings came in. And I understand why people are so obsessed with them. One, they're super soft inside. Like you think faux leather, I was thinking they'd be like kind of a sticky material and they wouldn't be that comfortable. No, they're super comfortable. Kind of feels like you're not wearing anything, which I don't know, kind of freeing, kind of fun. Anyway, they're also very flattering. And today you also get a 15% off discount. If you go and order uh, anything over $75. So if you look in the show notes, there is a discount code. You can click on it. You will get 15% off when you buy your leggings or your Spanx slimmers or your underwear, whatever you end up getting because they have all kinds of clothes. You also will get a 15% off code that you can share with people. So today's code is in the show notes of this podcast. All right, back to the message. You know, going back to being the pretty girl's sidekick, a big part of losing that identity and leaving that behind was planting the seeds of belief that I was fearfully and wonderfully made. Because when you look at yourself as a sidekick, when you just kind of relegate yourself to, well, I'm not going to get attention because that's not my job. Like, I, my job is to be the funny one. My job, ooh, this was my big one. My job is to be the reliable one. I have to be a good support for this beautiful person because they're the pretty ones. They're the ones that deserve all the attention. And you know what happens with that? And maybe not for some people, but what happened for me was I became very resentful towards those friends It's sad because really it came down to me not setting good boundaries. Actually, it came down to me having no boundaries and feeling by the end that it was take, take, take. And it really wasn't. It was just we had established a certain give and take in the relationship. I didn't know how to ask for what I wanted. I didn't know how to say, hey, I need some of me time. So instead, I just got cold. I was less responsive. I was less available because I didn't know how to articulate what was happening or what I wanted to be different in the friendship. And after those two friendships, the one I mentioned in college and then the one later, when both of those friendships ended up phasing out, and I shouldn't say that way, again, accountability, when I ended up phasing those friendships out, it made me wonder... Well, I'm the common denominator in both these friendships. And if I want friendships to feel differently, if I want, if I don't want to feel these, this way towards friends, then what do I need to do differently? When I moved to New England five years, actually now almost six years ago, about a year in, two years in, I started seeing a therapist. And a large part of it was because I knew that there was something going on but I didn't know how to fix it. I knew from watching 
as many Oprah and Ayanla Van Zandt, you know, I don't know if you've heard of the show Fixed My Life or yeah, Ayanla Fixed My Life. I'd seen enough of those shows to see, okay, these people who act out and do all these things, a lot of times it comes back to like childhood issues or these deep seated issues. And I could understand that. I could see it. I could identify that, hmm, my relationship with my mom isn't as good as I want it to be, but I don't know why. And I don't know, again, I don't know how to fix it. So for me, that meant going to a therapist. That also was a process because earlier in my 20s, I had a big chip on my shoulder. I felt like therapy was for weak people. I thought it, I just was very dismissive of it. And I just thought it was for entitled little girls who had silly problems, which is embarrassing to say, but it's the God honest truth. And I could not be a bigger advocate for therapy now. It is one of the best things that I have ever done for myself was to have somebody. And I got lucky that the first therapist I went to was a great fit. And and I know that there are some people that they've had, they've had a therapist where it just wasn't a good fit. And I, I get that. But for me, he was a great therapist and he came at the perfect time. It was actually recommended to him to me by my pastor because I wanted a Christian therapist. Again, I mean the work that we did in those sessions. And it's funny because there were so many times I would go in thinking, well, I have nothing to talk about. I'm not unhappy. I feel good. I feel confident. And then we would start talking and, and inevitably something would come up and I would end up crying or I would just a chord would be struck and it would give me something to reflect on, something something to think about. I always think it's interesting when different things come into your life at different times, whether it's a quote, whether it's excerpt from a book, it's an, whether it's a podcast, an interview, different things come in. And that's what I, I really do hope this podcast will be for people. You know, maybe this, my message or the messages you'll hear will point you in the direction that you need to go next, whatever that might be. But there is this one quote by Marianne Williamson. Actually, it's not a quote. It's an excerpt from her book, um, A Return to Love. It's actually a quote that's often attributed to Nelson Mandela. But fun fact, it's actually from Marianne Williamson. And at different points during my 20s and 30s, that quote has come up. And then there have been other times where I've gone and found it because when I have felt really down and questioned myself and like, can I really be the person? Like, can I be, I, I, I want to say the star of the show, but I, I don't want that to be taken the wrong way. I just mean not being somebody's sidekick, allowing myself to be confident in me and not just as the add-on to whoever else is there. The quote begins, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. 
It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. I can't tell you how many times I have looked that quote up. And I've had to say it like it's a mantra or a mantra. I think it's mantra. I'm not sure. But I've said that quote. And every single time it gets me. I mean, what if we all thought about ourselves that way? Who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? Those, those two questions struck a nerve every time. Every time I wanted to write myself off and say, well, I'm just her friend and, you know, guys like her are better or, you know, I'm not the top performer in my company, but that's not, that's not my job. Like, that's not what I'm here for. Another thing that I had to address was not comparing myself to people, especially friends, and instead focusing on, okay, well, if I'm envious of this part of them, maybe instead of being envious or even worse, being jealous, maybe I should just embrace that in them and, and compliment them, like genuinely compliment someone. There's this quote from um, this book I've been reading called The Audacity to be Queen by Gina DeVee. And she says, you know, allow yourself to notice other people and their success, but do not minimize yourself in the process. Give yourself the freedom to explore what you've inspired, what you're inspired by in them. And I think when you come from that perspective of just being inspired by somebody as opposed to feeling threatened, that seems to happen a lot with women. A lot of cattiness, a lot of feeling threatened. And I remember my mom saying that when I was when I was growing up, like, oh, you know, so-and-so f- feels threatened. And I thought, does anybody really feel threatened? Unfortunately, sometimes yes. And I don't think it's always conscious. But you can sometimes tell by the actions whether or not somebody feels threatened. I don't ever want to feel threatened by another woman or another person. Not unless they're like actually threatening my life, but... If there's something wonderful about someone, I would rather lean in and say, okay, what can I learn from them? And I've thought that at work, you know, when there's been somebody that I thought, oh my God, they're so good at their job. Instead of like sitting back and saying, oh, well, it's because they have it easier or it's because of this. No, I'm going to go to them and say, hey, you're doing an awesome job. Tell me what you're doing. I would rather learn from somebody's excellence than to be threatened by it or to try to minimize them. And it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't work. Like if you know someone's doing a great job, why would you talk smack? Don't be that person. I don't ever want to be that person. And I genuinely feel if I'm feeling threatened, then it's just a sign I got to work on myself. That, that, that a nerve has been struck and I need to figure out why I feel some kind of a way. That means it's on me, not them. And that's been a big part of moving past being a sidekick or feeling like a sidekick or just not feeling like I can stand up for what I want or more importantly, go for what I really want. I gotta tell you, I left my company of 12 years a few months ago. I had been grappling with the thought of it for a while, but there was a part of me that was staying in it because I didn't want to leave if I wasn't the best. And I still felt like I had something to prove. 
I still felt like, nope, I need to hit bigger numbers. Nope, I need to achieve more because I don't want to feel like I didn't do enough. And listen, I'm very proud of my drive, but at some point I had to genuinely stop and ask myself, is this really what I want now? Do I still want to do this? Do I really want to be the best here or do I want to do things that I've had on my heart for a long time? One of them being starting this podcast. And yes, I could have started this podcast while I was still there, but I needed to leave. I needed to take that leap of faith to be able to take this leap of faith and start a podcast. I needed to know I could, that I wasn't going to settle for proving myself to people who I don't really need to prove myself to anymore. I never really needed to. I think it's so easy to get caught up in people pleasing and trying to earn other people's approval that you forget what you even want. I got so caught up in earning my friend's approval that I put my own needs on the back burner so long, it ended up being the death of the friendships. I've made a conscious effort in the last couple years to nurture friendships and know that, okay, I can't just expect my friends to come to me when they want something. Like, I have to go to them. I have to reach out to them because that was something I was bad about for a long, long time. I was the worst about keeping in touch. So the friends that I had relationships with were ones that they always initiated. And and not always, I would initiate too. But I mean, I started noticing that I, I didn't have strong friendships with people over the years that I still really adored and still really respected because I didn't put in the time. I didn't make the time. I'd get so caught up in these other relationships or friendships that I wouldn't get any, put any energy into growing and nurturing my other friendships. And I thought, okay, I don't want to do that anymore. I got to say part of it is also being very intentional with the friends that you keep and the friends and friendships that you nurture. I wanted more friendships with women that wanted more for themselves too. And I'm not saying that past friends didn't, but I don't feel like I was nurturing friendships enough. I needed to nurture friendships where it could be more of a two-way street. And I had to make it a two-way street. And that really helped me not feel like I was just, again, somebody else's sidekick. A part of somebody else's story when I really wanted to have my own story. But in order to have your own story, you have to make your own moves. You can't just take things as they come. You can't be reactive. You have to be proactive. And it's been a heck of a process for me to get there. All right, the last quote I'm going to share is one that I've actually had as my, my Facebook cover page. And I don't know, some people on here might, might not even know what a Facebook cover page is. But yeah, it's like a lot of people have, you know, pictures of their family in the background of their profile photo. I have had this quote up there, and I, I looked the other day, since 2016, because uh, a former coworker of mine posted it on her Instagram, and I thought, oh my God, it, it again, just like the Marianne Williamson deepest fear quote, just like the the Bible verse fearfully and wonderfully made, like it stopped me dead in my tracks. And I thought, oh, okay, I have to have that. I read it every once in a while because I knew something was shifting in me and I knew I wanted more things to shift in me. And it, this excerpt 
It's an excerpt from a book that I'll be honest, I don't know what the book is. No clue. But this excerpt is called Her Time. And maybe it'll speak to you. But it sure as heck spoke to me. So it goes, she has been feeling it for a while. That sense of awakening. There is a gentle rage simmering inside her and it is getting stronger by the day. She will hold it close to her. She will nurture it and let it grow. She won't let anyone take it away from her. It is her rocket fuel and finally she is going places. She can feel it down to her very core. This is her time. She will not only climb mountains, she will move them too. As I read that, I actually put two and two together. That was actually probably the beginning of when I knew that I was going to have to leave my company. Sooner or later, it was coming. That awakening was coming. I just, I still wasn't ready. Four years later, it took four years for me to have the guts to leave and to say, okay, I want to do something different now. I'm grateful for the opportunity I've had, but I want to do something different. I think when we get these messages, because you always do, a lot of times when you least expect it, but when we get these messages, you have to listen. And if something stops you dead in your tracks, if something makes you pause, then there's more there. There's more there that you have to feed and you have to nurture. And I don't want this to be a complete before and after, like, oh, well, now I'm the most confident person and... I would never, well, I would like to think actually that I would never look at myself as just somebody's sidekick again, but it's still a process and it's still a matter of choosing every single day to believe in myself, to want more and to go for more. And I think sometimes it's so easy to think, okay, well, once I'm there, I'll always be there and I won't have to do anything to maintain it. No, nope. You're going to go through experiences that are going to knock you down. Every person does. And every experience, you're going to have to figure out how to get back up from it. But I hope that some of these quotes, maybe maybe you'll reach out and read some of these books. I will post um, the books in the show notes so that you can order them. You can listen to them, you know, whatever, however way you want to take it in. But I hope that this message has helped. If you know of somebody who could get something from anything I've said or one of the, again one of the quotes maybe it's nothing I said but it's one of those quotes that you want to share with a friend please do share the episode share the quote whatever it is but share it if you know there's somebody that needs to hear something like this or one of these messages if you're listening to this and you have somebody that you think would be great on this podcast who has an amazing story that people need to hear that you know would inspire others, then by all means, please email me. My email is Rosanna Gill, R-O-S-A-N-N-A-G-I-L-L-P-R, P as in Polly, R as in Rosanna, at gmail.com. Email me. Let me know if there's somebody that you think would be great for this podcast because I'd love to talk to them and I'd love to hear their stories and learn from them. Thanks and I hope you have a great day and you break some labels.